Welcome to the Magnify podcast. Magnify is a platform at the intersection of faith, feminism, and fashion. During these episodes, we have conversations with dynamic individuals that we hope will leave you intrigued, inspired, and informed. Often when people make their wedding vows, there's a line that says, in sickness and in health. How do you navigate marriage when that is really put to the test? Marriage is a beautiful blessing from God, but it's by no means easy. What does it look like to support your spouse through an addiction? What does it look like to forgive, even when you're still hurting? And how do you learn to trust and rebuild after immense challenges? A few months ago through Instagram, I discovered an inspirational woman and event planner named Hunter Alcott. In this episode, she talks about how she found out how casual drinking had drifted into an addiction to alcohol for her husband, just as she was expecting their first child. She also spoke about the challenge of separation, the importance of rehab and counselling, and how God helped restore their marriage and give their family a fresh start. Let's listen in to this incredible episode. My first question, I always like to find out your type of vibe and the people that you'd like to chat to. Um, so if you could have dinner with four guests from any time in history or present, who would they be and why? My first one would probably be Ronald Reagan. Um, the reason why my mom, she grew up um, loving him. And then obviously I grew up listening to her love him. And so um, as I became a adult, I started reading books about him and reading stories and books from his wife. And I just, I love how wholesome he was. And there's something about him that everyone, regardless of politics and Hollywood and all of those things that everyone just loved him. And so I would love to see, I get his, the insight of like, how'd you get everyone to like you? Um, so definitely Ronald Reagan. And then, um, I'm a huge University of Alabama football fan. Oh, I wow. mean, roll Todd, all my all the people out there, roll Todd. Um, but I would love to sit down with Nick Saban. He, to me, um, in the sports world, is obviously iconic. And so um, I would love to learn from him on his leadership of just, number one, I mean, just a meeting, but number two, like, how are you the best? of all time. So those are my top two. And then I feel like just because of my, my belief in my faith, it would be really bad if I didn't put Jesus in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw that in there. Um, because I mean, the question of all questions, why did you die for me? I mean, I would love to ask that and touch him and see him. And so obviously that's very spiritual. So those are probably my top three. We kind of hit faith, you know, sports and politics. So we, we hit all of them. <laughs> and then um, finally, because obviously you're a wife and mother and entrepreneur, but how in the midst of those things do you learn to switch off and relax? Um, okay. So with this, with quarantine, I've obviously had to get really creative because we're all trapped in the house and we're all bored in the house, you know? And so we started going on family walks in the evening and I first kind of started going by myself and then we started going, we'd take the stroller, put our little girl Mitchell in the stroller. And then my husband would start walking with us. And it's interesting because even though we're together, it's such a relaxing 
hour, you know, 30 minutes, whatever we can do before the sun sets. And so it's been really relaxing. It's one of the things I will carry on after quarantine. Um, And obviously, if weather permits and we have time, we grew up um, on a boat and jet ski. And so the lake is my ultimate relaxed space. I always love to, I guess, look back into people's lives and growing up in their childhood and see how that, um, I guess, informed who they are today. So I'd love to hear more about your childhood and I guess some of the values and experiences that you think shaped who you are today. Yeah. um, So I grew up with my dad being a preacher, he was an evangelist. And so we, and my mom was a women's speaker. So we grew up in a Christian home. We were non-dominational. That's the way we were raised. Um, but very different than some, some people, we were um, a blended family. And so there was quite a bit of divorce from every aspect. So there was myself, I was two, And then my sisters and my brothers were seven, nine, and 11 when our parents got married. And so when I refer to my dad, it's actually my stepdad. And um, so when they got married when I was two, he took me in as his own. And I think something that really shaped me for life was really, he, he didn't have to take care of me. He didn't have to love me like his own kids. He didn't have to treat me like that because I wasn't, but he did. And that really shaped me in loving everybody and taking care of everybody, regardless of who they were. Um, And so for me, it it really, really did something great for me, even though coming from divorce and my biological father, we were, like we knew each other, but I never lived with him. I was always with my mom and my stepdad. And so um, I think between our faith and really my stepdad's love, I feel like I became very Mm open-minded at a very young age. Wow, amazing. Um, And then how then would you say, um, I guess, what you saw of marriage growing up, how much did that shape your perceptions of marriage? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of... (laughs) I think there was a lot of fear of divorce, but also this kind of, I'm not going to be another generation in my family that gets, that gets divorced. So there was always that push and pull of fear and determination. Um, but regarding marriage, I, I really thought I got married at 20 and that my husband had just turned 23. And so we were very young and I thought marriage was going to be an extended date. That's what I thought it was going to be. And I'm here to tell everyone that is not true. Although I love my husband very dearly, but we had no idea of um, what life cost and um, how to cook. I mean, I we knew nothing. And so um I had a lot of ideas of how much fun marriage was going to be, but I definitely was underprepared for the day-to-day life for sure. And then I want to ask then, um, because I've been married for 20 months um, and I think it's taught me so much about myself in a way that I hadn't expected. So what would you say are the things that marriage has taught you about yourself? I definitely think marriage... um, 
you realize how selfish you are. Um, but I also think it shows you how much you love that person because you, you put up with a lot or you didn't know that they left their clothes out for flat five days and you're, you're, you're washing them, folding them and then having to put them up, which that is me. Um, I leave everything out and my husband's a neat freak. So I'm really speaking from his perspective on that. (laughs) Um, but I didn't, I was such a mess and I left five pairs of shoes out and things like that. I didn't realize how, how messy I was. Um, and I didn't realize what a neat freak he was. Um, and so I've realized there are things about myself that I, I can do better. Not to think, say that I was perfect, but, um, I realized that there were a lot of things I needed to work on and in bend on, um, I was very, very controlling and well, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And this is when we're going to do it. And that's why I'm such a good event planner, but (laughs) in marriage, um, there is some give and take. And, um, I've realized that there are great things about my control aspects, but there are some things that I've had to turn down or get in his shoes and realize how he's feeling about whatever the topic may be. So um, I guess my next set of questions are around the bit in our vows that says in sickness and in health. Um, And I think it's definitely something that I've appreciated in marriage in the sense that when you go through difficult times, knowing that you're going through that together and that the other person isn't going to bail out on you and they're actually committed to seeing you in the great times and also more challenging. Um, So I kind of want to go back to 2018 um, and marriage and whether, I guess, any signs in your marriage that you noticed or, yeah, things that you thought might lead to how things panned out. Yeah, I would love to kind of just set up a little bit before 2018 so everyone can understand what got us to 2018. Um, My husband um, and I both started casually drinking. um, And even though we were in ministry, it was something that we kind of kept to ourselves. and, um, And then I got pregnant in 2016. And that is really what happened um, I, I realized, oh, this is a problem because when I got pregnant, I obviously stopped drinking and I realized that, yes, I was drinking quite a bit, but he, he had started to drink every day, um, every morning, every lunch, every evening. Um, and it just was, it, it become something that really ruled his life. And, um, so I started just feeling very uneasy about his decisions of what he was doing um, on his off time as far as continually drinking. And that was kind of what consumed him. And so I ended up talking to some of our very close friends that lived where we lived at the time. And, um, you know, they, they were our boss and they threatened to fire Alan, you know, and here I am eight months pregnant and, um, I really was like, okay, this is it. This is what's going to make Alan wake up and mature and grow up. And it did for about two weeks. And then he was right back at it. And so uh, we had another talk with him. And then he was good for about two weeks. And then I remember being about 38 weeks pregnant. 
and I had worked all day. I worked until the day I had Mitchell. Um, and I, I came home and he was passed out at, um, on the couch and I couldn't wake him up. I could not wake him up. And that was the moment when I was, if I were to go into labor, Alan would not be able to take me. Wow. And that was one of the signs that I was like, this is an issue. Um, and then to just kind of fast forward, um, a couple months later, we had Mitchell, we were offered a higher position at the church and we just felt like it wasn't right. So we ended up moving back to Dallas and we moved in with my parents and that's my, with my dad being a pastor, I thought, okay, this is it. He's going to stop drinking here. There's no way he's going to disrespect my dad during this season, you know, living with him. We move in and I thought everything was kind of done with and I never thought it would get as big as it was. And so then again, he always lasted about two weeks. And so it was about two weeks and then he started drinking again. And so I finally called his parents and they had no idea. And I kind of laid everything on them. I, I still feel bad for them for that phone call that day because they had no idea. And they ended up having to come pick him up. And that's when I, I decided to, um, you know, tell him that he needed to go live with his parents in that season. So there were a lot of signs. There was a lot of um, hope in this sense of, okay, this is going to be it. This is going to be the moment that he stops. And it just never was. And so as those, um, as we had those conversations and they kept getting deeper and deeper and repetitive and more people knew and he kept doing it, that's when I realized this is a really big deal. And that got us to, you know, mid-2017 and into 18, 2018. Wow. And so um, when we, you kind of got to that point, what were your emotions? Because obviously you said that you said he needed to move with his parents, but were there times where you ever thought like, we've kind of come to the end of the road? Yeah. I mean, I had a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, I had just had a baby, so my hormones in general were crazy. Um, but then, um, yeah, just coming to the realization at 23, I'm living with my parents. I have kicked my husband out. I have a, at this point, I had a five month old and what, what is happening with my life? What's happening with my marriage? And honestly, what's happening to my husband? Like I feel even bad for him as much um, trauma as he's put me through. I still feel bad for him. Um, and, you know, once I did, once I kicked him out, I thought, okay, he'll, he'll, he'll get better and he'll come back. He won't be away from us that, that long, you know? Um, and then he moved back in and then it was about a week after he moved back in, he started drinking again. And that was the final straw. And that's when we lived separate for right at a year. Um, he moved back into his parents and, um, I was just a wreck. I just never thought, like I said, with divorce, I was determined to make it, but it also had gotten to the point of like, maybe this, maybe I will be another generation of divorce. You know, um, and so there was a lot of just up and down, up and down. Um, I did get to a point um, to kind of get you almost to 2018. Um, once he was kicked out, um, we kind of had visitation. Well, you can see Mitchell for four hours here and I'll I'll meet you here and things like that. We did. We lived totally separate lives. And, um, and in October of 2017, um, Alan got in a car accident and he got a DUI and he went to jail. And that for me was, that was when I had an ultimatum of 
you either are going to go to rehab or you cannot see Mitchell um, because you weren't going to be around my kid acting a fool like that um, and jeopardize, you know, her at any point. Um, And so there were a couple of days, I think it ended up being 10 or 12 days that we didn't speak um, that beginning of that November, right after the car accident. Um, And um, he finally said, I'll go to rehab. And so he went to rehab Thanksgiving day of 2017. And um, I was actually in New York on a family trip with about 20 of us. And the only person that was there wasn't my husband. And he's on Thanksgiving day, I'm sitting on a 14th floor hotel room looking at you know, Central Park and my husband's checking into rehab in Florida. And it was such a moment of, I would say, despair of of just like, what has my life come to? Um, and then I I did have a little bit of hope, not a lot, but if he was going to read go to rehab, then he's at least trying. And that's always what I wanted. So again, there's that emotional roller coaster of, I can't believe this is happening to me, but there's a little bit of hope. But how do we get out of this at this point? I mean, it just was a constant whirlwind of emotions. Right. Um, so I want to ask then how, um, in the midst of all the emotions that you were going through and being a mother as well, how did you support your husband through this season? And I guess what has been the journey of healing um, as a result of that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was going to counseling a lot and I realized you can still set boundaries while supporting someone. You don't have to live with them. You don't have to be best friends with them. Um, you can set hard boundaries. Some people may say, um, that they're harsh, but you can set boundaries and still support that person because you're allowing them to reach the end goal that everyone wants with those boundaries. Um, and so it was, it was hard to support someone when they're hurting you. Um, but one big thing was again, like the ultimatums of as long as you're getting help, as long as you're going to classes, as long as you're going to AA meetings, as long as you're going to celebrate recovery, I'm going to support you. You will see Mitchell and I more. Mm. But the moment you lie and you drink and you do all the things that are not productive, then you will not see us. And it was clear and cut. And what I said, I meant. Um, And I think that pushed him into this place of, I want to get better and I have to get better. And God, I need your help. And so um that was the way so that's what support looked like for us particularly as women being so nurturing we can put our own emotions um to the side um how did you kind of practice self-care um and making sure you were in tune with your emotions rather than just burying them and who were the people who I guess carried you along in this season yeah definitely um I realized very early on to get through this I need to figure out a few ways to cope with this. So I ended up going to the gym every day. And at that point, like I said, Mitchell was in between that three year, three months to about, you know, a year and a half. And so I, I didn't have a childcare, you know, provider. 
and I I didn't have any money. So what am I going to do? Well, my parents ended up paying for a gym membership for me. And so childcare was two hours every day. So what I would do is I'd go to the gym, I'd work out. And even if my workout was done, I would either sit in the sauna or I would sit in the locker room and just have those two hours to myself. And it, I mean, it was a life, obviously I was doing something healthy and productive, but also just having a mental break from Alan, from Mitchell, and just being able to be alone and silent, that was definitely a self-care necessity for me in that season. And it's carried on to this season as well, like I said, about going on a walk. And it's been something that throughout just my life, it's really helped me. Um, Also, I read a lot. Um, Some days I would read a book, some days I would just read an article. I mean, I just like to read. And so that helps a lot. Um, I read a lot of self-help books in that season. Um, A lot of books on boundaries. I also, um, regarding the people that really carried me through that season, it was a little group that I almost had to talk to every single one of them every day just to get through the day. And obviously it was my parents because I was living with them during that season. And then um, my counselor, she, um, we met every week and it was so life-giving for me. Um, and then my siblings, we, there's four of us. And so I would talk to them every day. And then my two long, long time best friends, um, Natalie and Taylor. And so I would talk to those few people every day and just carrying on conversation, sometimes they wouldn't even ask about Alan. And it was so nice just to have a conversation about sports or what I did at the gym, you know, just anything that allowed me to feel like I was somewhat living in a normal life. And so um, it really, those, those three things really helped me throughout that season. Wow. Um, and I guess this is how I discovered you. I'd love to hear then about the journey of restoration. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I think we left off at rehab. So my husband came back from rehab the week of Christmas in 2017. I told him throughout the entire process, as long as you're trying to get help, I will be there. So he spent 30 days in rehab. He didn't come home. Um, And so on that day 30, um, I met him at the airport in Dallas. He flew back from Florida and I met him there with his mom and our little girl. And I was like, hey, we're going to go to Arkansas. That's where I grew up. That's where we spend every Christmas. And you're not going to miss a Christmas, which I'm so thankful for my family because they could have said, no, after all that, absolutely not. And I would have understood. But instead, again, goes back to my dad's love and unconditional love. He said, no, Alan's coming. So um, we loaded up, went to Arkansas. And I thought, again, that was it that was going to be the moment of we're back together and we're great and we're going to go to counseling and our marriage is going to be restored. Um, And I did learn a lot um, while he was at rehab. Again, I did a lot of reading, a lot of research. And um, I think, I think the rate is like 97% of people um, relapse after rehab. And so I, I kind of prepared myself for that. Um, And he did 14 days. And again, like I said, his window was always two weeks. And so um, the beginning of January, 2018, 
um, I got a phone call from um, where he was working, his boss. Um, he was working at a bank, 1030 in the morning. And she goes, Alan showed up to work drunk. Um, I'm going to call his sister to come pick him up. And um, I'm also going to call the local church um, celebrate recovery pastor to meet us. And I, I mean, I didn't know his boss. I didn't know the celebrate recovery pastor. I mean, I didn't know any of these people. And I was like, okay. And so that is really kind of when I started um, reaching out to my uh, a divorce attorney, to be really honest. I'd gotten to the point where I was done. I was so done. And um, I reached out to her um, and that day and um, long, long day was Alan got picked up from work. The celebrate recovery pastor met him at his house. He ended up having alcohol in his in his room, and he was drinking that entire day. Um, a lot of chaos through the family. Um, and that night, he ended up sending suicidal texts to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I remember, um, I remember calling his dad, and I said, I I don't know where Alan is. I don't know what's going on, but what I need you to do is go in that room and I need you to speak life to him. And I always get choked up because even in that moment, I couldn't stand him, but I wanted, I wanted him to have some sort of hope and some sort of life giving moment to say, okay, that's not worth it. It's not worth it. And, um, so he ended up, um, pretty much the celebrate recovery pastor a couple later, a couple hours later said, you have an ultimatum. You can go to jail. I'll call the cops and they'll um, take you into jail or you can go to um, Green Oaks, which is um, um, kind of a recovery place here in the city in Dallas. And um, he ended up going there and he spent the night there and he called me the next morning. And that was the last day that Alan drank. Wow. Um, he said he still jokes that he would rather go to jail than go back to that recovery place. <laughs> um, so um, I think it was good for all of us for him to go. Um, but um, he got to a point um, of saying, God, if this is where, where when I'm in control of my life, it gets me, I don't want to be in control of it anymore. Wow. I want you to lead me. And so he surrendered that day and said, and even though, like, I mean, to give you more backstory on Alan, he grew up in church and he grew up um, doing a program called Junior Bible Quiz. And it's where kids learn books of the Bible at a time. And he was a national winner and he went to Bible college and he had, I mean, when you put on paper, everything, 31 of the ACT college paid for church ministries degree on paper. He was a dream for anyone's daughter. Mm. And it, it shows you how all you need is to surrender. I mean, you can have all of those things, material things, but when you get to the point where you say, I need you, Jesus, and I can't do it without you, that's when, that's when God starts moving because he can. You allow him to find the move. Wow. And so that's, that's restoration for us that day. And obviously it took us about another six months of going to 
um, we ended up going to see the different counselor together. I was still seeing my personal counselor, but then we started going to counseling together. That was one day a week. And then he was going to celebrate recovery classes another day a week. He was going to a 12-step program another day a week. He was in a golf league with the church. So he was busy every single day. His parents took his car, his cash, his debit cards, everything for 90 days. Um, and so it became this just kind of clearing, clearing the stage, almost clearing his life of, okay, God, everything's out of the way. I'm going to work. I'm going to see my family and I'm, I'm going to let you lead my life. Wow. That is just so powerful. Um, and so I wanted to ask during this whole season of your life, um, and I guess in other areas when life hasn't gone to plan, how have you learned to rely and trust in the goodness of God when you've seen, um, yeah, life not go as you have envisioned and prayed for? Yeah. Um, for me, it was something where it was day by day. I mean, I would be mad one day. I would hate my life the next. I would, you know, be happy. Then it just was this constant battle of emotion. But what I realized, um, it kind of goes hand in hand of when everything in my personal life was going, I mean, going down the drain very fast. Um, I was about to become a single mom. I had no money. I was living with my parents. My husband was an alcoholic. I mean, all of the things that were happening. And I don't know why, but I decided to start my own business during that season. I mean, it, to me, looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> um, but I decided to start my own um, wedding and event planning business. And honestly, overnight, it, it blew up. I mean, I had planned certain events for our local church and parties for friends, but I didn't have any training or formal, you know, training of any sorts. I just knew I was I was called to do this, and I started a business, launched my website, and started getting phone calls out of nowhere, emails, and it. And to me, that was the goodness of God through it all because. Some form of your life, no matter what you're going through, he always gives you a glimpse of, see, I got you. Whether it be a healthy child, whether it be a job, um, whether it's food on your table, whatever it may be, he always shows you and has reminders that I got you. I, I promise I have you. And that for me was my business. So I always saw my business as, okay, God's got me. He has me and he is good and he is faithful. And so that for me through that season, honestly, was my business. Wow. Um, So speaking about faith, how did you come to faith? And I guess, how does faith impact your life in a day-to-day basis? Yeah, um, I think because I did grow up in in a faith-based home, there was never this aha moment of, I'm a believer and I now realize God's real. Um, But I will say I did grow up in life seeing everyone else go through something hard. And when you go through something hard, you are stretched, you know, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And so I watched all these people go through stuff and I was like, man, my life's good. My life's easy, golden. Um, And when I finally had to go through something, 
that's when I realized that even though I knew of Jesus and I loved Jesus and I proclaimed him, you know, of, like over my life, um, I realized, oh, I, I have a long way to grow. I need to, I need to spiritually dig, dig deeper. I need to start figuring out what faith really means to me. And it was in that season. Um, I, I had to read, like I said, Christian self-help books and I had to read my Bible and I had to read devotions and, you know, I would read scripture and be like, what is that? I'd read a chapter and be like, what does that even mean? Like, how does that, what does that mean for me right now in this season? And I'd go on Google and I'd start Googling and I'd look at paragraphs. I mean, and that's how I, I really feel like my faith grew is when I finally hit a point of like, I need this. Um, so that was kind of my experience. Amazing. Um, and then, so since um, you and your husband have come back together, how does faith mm-hmm. impact your marriage? And how do you think faith can be something that is, um, yeah, I guess a positive influence in marriage? We were able to kind of rebuild our foundation because we obviously didn't pick up where we left off because we hadn't been together for so long. So we were we had a second chance to you know, start from the foundation up. Um, and on a side note, we're building a house and it's so interesting how, how when we got back together, we started from the foundation up. That's what we're doing right now to our house. Oh, and it's such that. a cool correlation. Um, but um, we we did decide to start at a different church. And so we started going to church together and um, we really got plugged into a small group and we made a decision to read our Bible every day and to study the word together, maybe read a book together. And so we, if I wouldn't, if he'd read his Bible that day, he would still ask me, Hey, did you read yours? Hey, did you read that? And so it was this accountability of, are you growing? I'm growing. Are you growing? Do we need to do this together? Do we need to do it separate? Um, so that was, that's still what our day to day looks like. Um, of just continually checking on each other to make sure we're still growing spiritually. Wow, I love that. Um, and so finally, I want to move on to entrepreneurship and identity. How has Mitchell changed um, who you are? Um, well, considering I have stretch marks now, um, <laughs> she's changed me a lot. <laughs> um, I am... Um, Motherhood has changed me. I mean, it it changed my bedtime routine. It changed how many cups of coffee I drink. Um, and those are just the day to day things. Um, but on a on a deeper level, um, I think I in the season before having Mitchell, I had kind of let myself go. Um, I was just working a normal job, didn't really have any ambition, you know. I would almost say borderline lazy if I'm being very honest. Um, And once I had her, it was like, I went into overdrive. I was like, I want her to have this and I want her to have this and and not even material things, but I want her to live in a godly home and have a nice car and have a nice house so all her friends can come stay and and be a kind person and all of these things. Well, I want her to have those things then I've got to work on myself. And so I I just went into this mode of setting goals and finally meeting them and um and expectations on myself of if I need to be a good mom, these are what things that I need to do. 
Um, and then I guess I'd love to hear more about your business and what that's been like and how you found being an entrepreneur. So everyone in my family, my aunt's a dentist, my, like I said, my mom's a women's speaker. My dad owns his own um, nonprofit because he's a speaker and my sister is her, her own boss. She's a photographer. I mean, everyone in my family kind of has their own business. <laughs> and for some reason, it wasn't me. I just was like, oh, I'll go work for this company and do this. And, um, but I had all the traits to, to do it. I just didn't really, like I said, I didn't, was like, oh, it's fine. Um, but in 2017, going into 2018, I decided, hey, I like to control things and I like to plan things. And I really think I could be an event planner. And so I had posted on Facebook, hey, would anyone allow me to be a planner, you know, for their wedding, even if it's a day of coordinator. And so two friends said, I don't have the budget, but I would love for it. So I was like, well, I'll try it. So I did a wedding in February, 2018 and a wedding in March. And I realized like immediately this is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And it was just like a no brainer. And so, um, like I said, I launched the website and um, got on social media and it, it wasn't this huge um, marketing campaign or anything. It just was simply day after day, another lead, another phone call. I just knew regardless, I'm going to do this. And so I did it. And I mean, we've done, like over a hundred weddings. What would you tell a younger hunter about um, womanhood and marriage? Oh my goodness. I would tell her a lot of things because obviously I can talk, (laughs) Um, but I would probably tell her two things that life is extremely hard on some days. And I would also tell her that you need to trust the process because God is so faithful and he loves us so much and he will always take care of us. I love that. Thank you so much, Hunter. It's honestly been such a privilege um, to interview you and just really moving. I know that this will be an encouragement to so many people. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from this, go ahead and share this with them. Also, don't forget to rate and review. It really helps us out. See you next time.